0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Sometimes the recording quality of my broadcasts is pretty poor, and I have decided to change my recording software and use a new microphone. My voice may sound different, but it is still me, and the sound quality should be more consistent. Today, I want to look at the New Testament church from the perspective of 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In this passage, we learn some very important things about the New Testament church and about God's purpose for it. For example, we learn how important the church is in God's plan. It is the headquarters for Christ's great commission. No other organization can effectively do the job as well as it can. The church must be organized and operated according to God's plan. The church is the house of God, and there is a proper way to conduct ourselves in it. God's precepts for the church are revealed in Acts and the New Testament epistles. No one has authority to make a church that is different from what is revealed in Scripture. Anyone who attempts to build a church that is not based on the biblical model opens the door to compromise and other great evils. It is rebellion against God to do so. Efforts to do so resulted in the Catholic Church and those who came out of it in the 11th and 16th centuries. The New Testament Church has a congregational government, but God has given it leaders who are to ensure God's work is done according to His precepts. Church members are to obey these leaders, and the leaders are to remember they will give account to God for how things are conducted. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13 verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Church membership is a serious business. It is not like membership in a social club. Church members are to conduct themselves according to God's word, both in the church house and in their daily lives. Remember, we are ambassadors for a holy God. Membership is only for those who are truly saved. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Christ gave warnings to churches that did not conduct themselves according to his precepts. Church members who live like the world and who do not repent are to be put out of the church. Listen carefully to what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. We are to withdraw ourselves from a Christian who does not walk according to God's precepts. This is not optional, it is a command. In the Old Testament, the house of God was first the tabernacle, and later the temple. Our text tells us that in this age, the house of God is the New Testament church, and we are to know how to conduct ourselves when we are in God's house. We must understand the nature of the New Testament church. It is an assembly of born-again believers who congregate together for worship, training in God's precepts, and fellowship together to encourage and support each other. It is not a universal church or body because it has pastors and deacons. It has organization and its services are conducted in an orderly manner. It is not a few people getting together for a Bible study or prayer meeting. The difference between a New Testament church and a Bible study or prayer meeting is the church is organized after the biblical model and has pastors and other servants of God to carry out God's work. It has rules for church discipline, and is dedicated to the fulfillment of all three parts of Christ's great commission. In the epistles to Timothy and Titus, Paul gives us its proper function and order. When the Bible speaks of the church as the body of Christ, it is speaking of each church being a body that belongs to Him. Many have forgotten that when we enter into the church house, we enter into the house of God. This should fill us with awe and cause us to take care how we act while we are there. There is no house on this earth that is more important than the church house because that is where God meets with his people. This is not to say that God is not with his people outside of church, but there is something special when we gather as a church to worship and sing praises to our God. The Great Commission was given to the church, not to individuals. It takes people working together in unity to do the work of God. It is the headquarters of world evangelism and the training center for the servants of God. In the New Testament, the churches fulfilled this great work. There were no Bible colleges or mission boards. Everything was done in and through the New Testament local church. The church should, therefore, be at the center of every believer's life. How can someone say that he loves and honors God if he doesn't love his house? Every Christian should be committed, engaged, and faithful to his church. As I have already said, men have no authority to change the church's makeup or how it operates. God has given us His complete plan in the Scriptures, and everything must be done according to that plan. The sole authority for faith and practice in the church is the Word of God. The churches of the New Testament were independent, with no authority over them but the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. There was an under-shepherd called a bishop, elder, or pastor. There were deacons chosen by the church to assist the pastor. Bishops were not over more than one church, and there were no super-bishops called archbishops, cardinals, or popes. Although the churches did fellowship together and cooperate in the outreach to the world, there were no fellowships or conventions. The pastors were the chief teachers who trained church members for the work of God. This included the training of what we call full-time ministers, like pastors and missionaries. As some churches started deviating from the example of the scriptures, names were given to differentiate their different doctrine and practice. One of the earliest names given to the churches that remained faithful to the biblical model was Kathari. This name comes from the Greek word katharos, meaning pure. As we have already seen, God commanded churches to put out members who did not live holy lives. The ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper were given to keep the church pure. Baptism is the door to church membership and is only for those who have a credible testimony of salvation. The Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination and purification. There is no example of anyone who was not a member of a given church being invited to partake. It was for the membership of the church as a time of purification. Churches are careless about church membership and, as a result, God's house is turned into a mixed multitude. This is how apostasy creeps in. Every church is just one generation away from spiritual destruction if the door is not guarded by the principle of a regenerated church membership. The church is also the meeting house of God's children. It is a family. It is where the people of God are loved protected, nurtured, educated, developed, and disciplined. A scriptural church is where the love of God is manifest between His children. It is the nursery for spiritual infants and the training school for spiritual warriors. Listen to what God has to say about our assembling together in the book of Hebrews. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. Hebrews 10 verse 24 through 25 It is in the assembly that we provoke each other to love and good works. We do this through exhortation. The closer we get to the end of this age, the more important this becomes. Husbands and fathers who don't lead their families to church are doing them great harm. One of the most damaging things in families today is that men leave spiritual leadership in the hands of their wives. I thank God for godly wives, but it is the man's responsibility. The church is not the house of just any God. It is the house of the true and living God. Listen to what God had to say about himself through the prophet, Jeremiah, but the Lord is the true God, he is the living God, and an everlasting king, at his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Jeremiah 10 verse 10 The context for this verse gives a description of the gods of the heathen. They are fashioned by the hands of men. They are vanity and cannot speak or move on their own. In comparison, the Lord, Jehovah, is the true God and the God of truth what he says can be trusted. He is the living God. No one has to carry him around, and although he uses men, he is quite capable of speaking for himself. He is the everlasting king of the universe. At his wrath the earth and the nations will tremble. None will be able to stand before him. When we see what is happening in this world, it seems like the day of his wrath is upon us. The church is the headquarters of the God who is the source and sustainer of all life. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, unchanging, unconquerable, and utterly trustworthy. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Dispensing truth is the main business of the church. Nothing is more important and more valuable than truth in this dark world of lies. In John 17, verse 17, the Bible tells us that God's word is truth, and John 14, verse 6 tells us that Christ is the truth. The church is the pillar of the truth, that is, it is where God's truth is manifest. As the ground of the truth, it is what the pillar stands upon. These two characteristics of the church tell us that it is responsible for being faithful to God's word so it can be propagated throughout the world. The preservation and propagation of the word of God is the responsibility of the New Testament church, not a denomination or an interdenominational or par church organization or a university. This great task is given to the New Testament church alone. B. H. Carroll said, the Bible alone would not save the world. There must be an organization back of the book, an organization that has in it the elements of perpetuity, otherwise the truth would go to pieces. If there was no competent body to exercise discipline, to insist upon the gospel elements of the truth in preaching, and to exercise jurisdiction over the preachers of that doctrine, then there would be all sorts of preaching, all sorts of doctrines, and there would be no conservation of the truth, what good is it for the church to be the foundation of the truth if that truth is not reflected in its members and its interaction with the world? As the truth is broadcast to needy sinners, there must be evidence that it is, indeed, the pillar and ground of the truth. For the church to be the ground of the truth, it must first possess the truth. This is where a person should be able to come if they want to find the truth. God has delivered the truth to the New Testament churches in His Word and given it the Holy Spirit which guides it into all truth. Jude told us that it was once delivered. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude 1 verse 3 Some say that Jude changed his mind on what he was to write, but I don't think that this is so. To understand the common salvation, one must first have the proper doctrine. The faith is that system of doctrine given to us in the scriptures. They were given once, and we don't need to be searching for them in our day. The scriptures were settled by the time the book of Revelation was penned, which was the last book given. Nothing more is needed, and God has promised to preserve his word for every generation. God has given it to us, and it is our responsibility to earnestly contend for it. To possess the truth requires possessing the preserved scripture, which shows the importance of the Bible version issue. I am convinced that the preserved truth is the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek-received text and the accurate translations thereof. For the English-speaking people, it is preserved in the King James Bible. The modern translations are based upon a corrupted text and a corrupt philosophy. Those who put together the corrupt text, for the most part, didn't believe that there ever was a completed, inspired Bible. These fallible men think they can, by scientific study, figure out what was originally communicated by the infallible hand of God. It is not enough that the church possess the word of God it must be properly interpreted. There are rules for understanding verbal communication, and they must be diligently followed. Someone smarter than me said, a church should not have a Bible institute, it should be a Bible institute. It must train every believer in the proper way to interpret the scriptures. They must be brought to a mature and accurate understanding of the truths found in the Word of God. This means that those who teach in the church must be properly trained in effective Bible study. The responsibility for this lies directly on the pastor. If he allows the teachers to be weak in doctrine and in knowledge of the Word of God, the church will not be the ground of the truth. The scriptures have been preserved through the ages by faithful churches. You can't expect to find the truth in those churches which have departed from it. The completed canon of scripture has been placed into the hands of the churches to be kept pure. Each church has the responsibility of passing the pure word of God on from generation to generation. This is done the way Paul told Timothy to do it. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 it is, as I said before, the pastor's responsibility to pass what he has learned on to faithful men who can pass it on to others. It seems that many churches have forgotten part of the Great Commission is to teach them to observe all things Christ has commanded. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28 verse 20 The Old Testament was preserved by Israel, primarily by the Levites. The Jewish Masoretic scribes kept every jot and tittle. They counted every letter on a page, and if they made a mistake, they destroyed the whole page. The New Testament was preserved by the multitude of copies made, so other churches could have God's Word. As Christians, we should have the same care and concern for the purity of God's Word as the Jewish Masoretic scribes. This is what it means to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. There are many enemies of the truth, and the purity of God's word cannot be maintained without constant vigilance and aggressive defense. When a fortress is attacked, there must be a watchman on every side. If one post is abandoned, or if the guard falls asleep, the whole fortress can be lost. The Bible tells us that there are some men who lie and wait to deceive. They are skillful in their trickery and know how to make their lie sound like the truth. They teach what the Bible calls doctrines of devils, and we must be ever alert to counter them. There are many who refuse to stand on sound doctrine because they say doctrine divides. They are right, it does. It divides truth from error, right from wrong, and good from evil. I have heard others say that you defend the Bible like you defend a lion, just open the door and let it out. I'm sorry, but that is a foolish thought. There are different ways of interpreting the Bible. Catholics, and most Protestants, interpret the Bible allegorically. This method of interpretation allows them to make the Bible say anything they want it to say. An allegorical interpretation does not take the text for what it says, but gives it symbolic meaning. The Bible should be interpreted literally. A literal interpretation does allow for allegories when it is obvious from the context. For example, when Jesus said he is the door, we don't look for a doorknob and hinges. We know that the literal meaning is one must pass through him to enter. Preserving the ground of the truth requires following the principles taught in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study is hard work, and most people don't like hard work. However, if we don't apply ourselves to the study of God's word, we will be ashamed when we stand before our Lord. To rightly divide the word of truth means to properly interpret it. The members of a church must be so well educated in Bible truth that they can stand for truth against every error. A church cannot hold on to the truth without sound teaching. Preserving and defending truth are essential to maintaining a sound church for future generations. If a church is not zealous for the truth, and if the believers are not thoroughly grounded in it and able to defend it against false teachers, none of the church's other business can be accomplished. A church's doctrine is not the only thing that must be sound. The truth must be demonstrated in the conduct of its members. If the members live like the world in their daily lives, why should the world listen to them, or want what they have? The following passage tells us that blameless living is necessary to shining as lights in the world. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, Philippians 2 verse 14 through 15. Christians are told to live lives that are blameless and harmless. Blameless means we are not to do anything that can bring reproach on our Lord. Harmless means our lives should not harm others. When we profess to believe the Bible and live like the world, we do great harm to the lost who see us. We make it much more difficult for them to believe that the Bible is true and they should accept its precepts. The second chapter of Titus is about godly living. The first verse says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The things that are contained in this chapter are sound doctrine and must be taught if we want godly Christians. Verse 5 ends with the reason to teach them that the word of God be not blasphemed. When Christians don't live by God's precepts, it opens the word of God to be evil spoken of, which is the meaning of blasphemed. Verse 14 gives us God's purpose for the redemption that is in Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We are to be a pure people, not like the world, and zealous of good works. In this chapter, every category of Christian is named, old men, old women, young women, young men, and servants. All are told how to live a good Christian life. Doing otherwise causes the word of God to be blasphemed. Discipline is missing in most churches. Without proper church discipline a church cannot maintain its purity. If it is not a pure church, it is not the pillar and ground of the truth. Proper church discipline not only purges the church of any leaven, it also warns others against unholy living. If the church members live unrepentant, wicked lives and aren't disciplined, the church's light becomes corrupt, and the world cannot see the pure light of truth. Undisciplined church members give the church a bad name in the community, weakening all of its efforts to reach the lost. Maintaining the purity in a church is no small task. It is not something that can be done and then forgotten. Only hard work and vigilance can guarantee that a church's testimony in the community remains pure. The church's foundation must be deeply rooted in the Word of God. It must be maintained so that cracks do not appear, and if they do, they must be stopped before they spread. Pillars do two things. Some pillars support something, others display something. The church is to be a support for truth in the world. It must also hold the truth up high before the world. It is to be like a lighthouse on a hill, proclaiming God's word to the world, and by preaching the gospel to every creature. We are commanded to be Christ's witnesses. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1 verse 8. Many think this means to tell others about the gospel. Look at what it really says. It says we are to be witnesses, not do witnessing. Don't misunderstand me, we are to tell others, but we cannot tell others until we are witnesses. A witness is someone who has knowledge on some subject. This knowledge comes through study, experience, and hearing. To be a witness for Christ, one must have heard the gospel, experienced its saving power, and studied to understand what is required. The study actually comes between the hearing and the experience. Once we are a witness, we can then give testimony to its truth. As witness, we have the responsibility of getting the word out to the entire world. This is done by getting the gospel out to those in our Jerusalem, that is where we live, by personal testimony. Then we are to reach the other areas, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. We do this through our giving to support missionaries who go where we cannot. Although the pillar is mentioned first, and the ground is necessary to support it, it is the pillar that supports the truth. The pillar is probably mentioned first because it is what holds up and displays the truth. The church must be both the ground and pillar of the truth. The ground is the foundation upon which the pillar stands. However, the truth cannot be seen if it is not lifted up above the ground. The pillar needs the ground for support, and the ground needs the pillar to display truth. Both are necessary. We might well equate the ground to knowing, loving, and preserving God's truth, but it is not an end in itself. It is the foundation from which the Word of God is to be proclaimed to a needy world of lost and dying sinners. A church that focuses on teaching the saints but neglects the evangelization of the lost is a selfish and dying church. A church that focuses on evangelism while neglecting teaching that brings the saints to maturity is also a dying church. The main reason the Christian testimony is so weak today is many churches have emphasized evangelism and ignored serious Bible study and godly Christian living. The Roman Empire built many great pillars as testimonies and memorials to their many victories. We can still see some of them today. There is Trajan's Column in Rome which celebrated the Emperor Trajan's victories in the Dacian Wars. It was 115 feet high. It featured relief carvings depicting various aspects of the wars, and it was topped by an image of Trajan. It was a proclamation, a witness, a message, an educational tool. Likewise, the church is to be a pillar proclaiming the glorious gospel to whosoever will. At the top of this pillar is Jesus Christ. He is the one we are to hold up before the eyes of the world. The world needs to know that Christ was God manifest in the flesh. It needs to know that he laid aside his prerogatives as God, became a man, never losing his deity, lived a perfect life, and died to pay the sin debt for every sinner, and that includes everyone who was ever born into this world. The business of the church is not meeting the felt needs of the world, nor is it entertaining those who are seeking to be amused. It is being a lighthouse to the world, showing forth God's glory. To do this, it must carry out the entire commission that Christ entrusted to it. Churches must not get sidetracked to less important things, such as entertainment, sports, politics, and any type of social gospel. These things must not be completely ignored, but other institutions in this world can do those things and do them better than the churches. Only sound churches can fulfill Christ's great commission. A church that is not concerned about the social needs of its members is not showing the love of Christ. However, when a church gets involved in social work in a big way, they compromise the truth. It usually means they accept the heresy of ecumenism and join hands with false teachers and they stop preaching the gospel. World Vision is an example of what I am talking about. They say, in all World Vision projects, staff are ready to give a reason for their hope whenever appropriate and desired by the community. In many countries where we work, Formal public evangelism is forbidden by government policy, and we respect this. From this statement we learn that World Vision is committed to doing social work more than getting the gospel to those it is helping. There is no scriptural support for this attitude. Although we should stand against abortion, the anti-abortion movement has often resulted in compromise on the part of true Bible believers. I have seen fundamental Bible-believing churches have those who teach false doctrine come and speak in their churches. This blurs the line of separation that is laid down in Scripture. As we have seen, we are to separate even from other Christians who walk disorderly. When pastors allow their churches to yoke together in ecumenical relationships with false teachers on social issues, his church members are taught, in spite of their errors, these false teachers can be listened to. Let me close out with one of the most commonly used passages on separation. It is found in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This passage is most often used in the context of a Christian marrying a lost person. However, it goes much deeper than that. We cannot walk closely with God as our Father if we have fellowship, agreement, and commune with those who teach false doctrine. The New Testament church is God's headquarters on earth. It cannot be the pillar and ground of the truth if it is not kept pure. How is your church doing? I must close for today. Be back next week for another look at Bible doctrine and practice. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, SolidFoundationMinistries.com, or call 828 828- 244 Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.